Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, college students, are you looking for a way to get ahead this summer? Northwestern University is offering hundreds of undergrad courses online this summer. Choose an intensive sequence in learning. Registration is open now. Visit northwestern.edu slash summer for details. Oh, we got a little Rage Against the Machine for a song of the day request. Oh, you're in luck, Ben. Oh, All right. God, let me, let's know. read these sponsors and get uh, the show going I here. I don't know any songs by Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> oh. I just know the name. And I Shocking. Morello, he came to Chicago. I give him a lot of love. Let me just say this, man. I give the guy a lot of love. He did a performance, I remember, with uh, just uh, acoustic guitar at uh, I think it was at the Daily Center with the nurses standing up to uh, Mayor Rahm and his uh, idiotic idea to bring the uh, G8 to Chicago. So, rage against them. That's how I heard about the guy. Oh, wow, this guy's pretty cool. Hey, Ben, it has to start somewhere. It has to start sometime. What better place than here? What better time than now? Am I right? Whoa, get that bong out. That sounds like a Rage Against the Machine song. <laughs> it is. Okay. Oh, come on. Everybody knows that's called It's Gotta Start Sometime. It's one of their biggest hits, D. Get with it. <laughs> Get hip. Okay, your Ben Jarowski show for Thursday, June 18th is moments away. But before we get into this, let's thank the following unions for sponsoring this program. Unions like the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. That's correct. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9. That's correct. The International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. That's correct. And of course, today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. <laughs> I think you're 100% full of shit. All right, Ben. Song of the day. Let's hear it, pal. Uh, come on. <laughs> I just got to say that may have been Lori's finest moment. <laughs> that was such a good comeback. 100%, folks. I think we should have a fact-finding commission to determine whether it was actually 100% well, or 35%. Let's have a little fun with the song of the day. Your song of the day request from Pat Rod is okay. Bulls on Parade oh. from Rage Against the Machine. Yes, Bulls on Parade. <clears throat> Hold on one second. Mm, Bulls on Parade. Mm, I love it when Joe Kim Noah and Derek Rose go on parade. Woo, 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 woo. <laughs> Get a basketball joke Get it? There. Bulls on Parade. I got a million of them, okay? <laughs> Catch me at Zanies. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. And Zanies is, and Zanies is closed. <laughs> right. It is Thursday, June 18th, and live from Ben's Attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program... In these times, writer Miles Camp Lassen. And now your host, Chicago Reader writer, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Bolton Book Thursday. And here's why. Big news in today's New York Times. 
That's the New York See Times. See that, newspaper <laughs> listeners? Uh, that's the New York Times. John Bolton, his book came out, and it trashes Trump. Here's the headline. Bolton book says Trump's offenses exceeded Ukraine, alleges President asked she to buy crops to help him win farm states. That's just the headlines. Page one in the upper left corner. That's like where they put all the news that you're supposed to see, that you have to see. It's prime real estate in the newspaper game. Wait, what page was that again? Uh, one. As Number one. <laughs> Meanwhile, my beloved bright one, it's not even on the front page. And the Tribune, not on the front page either. Sometimes I wonder if Chicago is like part of the same country. Yeah, I know we're like the second city, and I know we're in the like the flyover part. But, you know, stuff that happens in Washington affects us too, so I'm going to spend time talking to it. I know people in Chicago, well, Ben, why? Come on. Nope. It's like vegetables. We're going to eat them and get smarter and better, okay? Mm. Eat your vegetables, ladies and gentlemen. Quit hitting the desk so much. <laughs> it's not in the Sun-Times. It's not in a tribute, at least on the front page. But it's on the front page of the New York Times, so we're going to deal with it. It's actually a pretty interesting story uh, because it highlights one of my favorite themes. And that theme is Republicans are a bunch of sniveling serpents. <laughs> They're snakes, ladies and gentlemen. That's what they are. They weren't always snakes. There used to be some... Charles Persing, I thought a good Republican. Hey, he got defeated in 1984, uh, excuse me. So it's been a while since we've had some really good Republicans. But uh, anyway, um, for folks who aren't paying attention, let me just say, uh, John Bolton is the former national security advisor uh, to Trump and to Bush. Uh, he's been an advisor to Republican presidents forever. He's your basic, you know, red meat, right wing Republican. Uh, <laughs> and no Chicagoans are going like a lot of Chicagoans are like, hey, wait a minute. Isn't that guy the singer? No, the wrong Bolton. That's Michael Bolton. All right. D, sing a Michael Bolton song. I'll see you here. I was embarrassed to say when I made that joke, I could not, I did not know one Michael Bolton song. Yeah, I can't think of anybody. I know he sounds like that. So then, this is pre-show prep. I looked up Michael Bolton on the internet, and I still didn't know any song, except I discovered that he was involved in a, uh, a trademark uh, infringement lawsuit. The Isley Brothers sued him. He stole some song from the Isley Brothers. Ended up having to pay my beloved Isley Brothers five minutes. I missed that story. Come on, Bolton. Bolton fought like heck to... Uh, avoid having to pay that come on bolton pay up the isley brothers no different bolton not michael bolton john bolton he's the guy with the walrus mustache oh yeah that guy anyway uh he can't stand trump <laughs> he, he he is i i have to say i probably disagree with john bolton on everything except this he can't stand john, uh, donald trump so that's good enough for me he can't stand trump i don't like him he's my ally at the moment at the moment he can't stand Trump so much. He wrote a book all about it, talking about what a rat Trump is. Uh, the name of the book, by the way, D, is The Room Where It Happened, which is actually not a bad title of the book. You know, it's like a good suspense thriller. Anyway, The Room Where It Happened. I can guarantee you I will not read the book. Uh, I will not purchase the book. Uh, but I will read newspaper accounts of the book, and then I will read newspaper accounts of the fallout over the book. That's about as far as I'm going to go uh, subsidizing uh, John Bolton. Here's the opening sentence in the New York Times story about John Bolton's new book. Uh-oh, train roaring by. <clears throat> John R. Bolton. I always put the middle initial in. John R. What do you think that stands for? Reginald. Ru I just I'm going that. Rutherford. 
you want to look it up? Why no. <laughs> Frank! <laughs> John. <laughs> uh, I go Reginald. You go Rutherford. All right. All right. Uh, what's the over-under? Uh, <laughs> how about the interview yesterday? Was it two days ago with Adolfo? Two days ago. Oh, my God. We did the over-under. How long before Adolfo Mondrian dropped the F-bombs? Like one minute. Anyway, <clears throat> John R. Bolton, the former national security advisor, says in his new book that the House and its impeachment inquiry should have investigated President Trump, not just for pressuring Ukraine, but also for a variety of instances where he sought to use trade negotiations and criminal investigations to further his political interests. And we all knew that. And there's the guy on the inside saying it now. Trump is a rat. Trump tried to squeeze use all the power he could make himself richer and more powerful, keep this thing going uh, beyond its due date, which was four years ago. Uh, anyway, uh, now, I, by the way, I realize that anything that uh, Bolton says in his book will not change one vote in this upcoming election because everybody who is against Trump is still against Trump uh, and everybody who loves Trump, and there's many people like that, uh, will vote for him regardless of whatever evidence is put in front of them. Regardless. And I tested very positively in a... In another sense. So negative. this morning, yeah, I tested positively toward negative, right? So, no, I tested uh, perfectly this morning. Meaning, meaning I tested negative. All right, glad we got that one settled. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's funny. The, one of the Republicans' uh, points that they're making against uh, Joe Biden is that he's senile. Okay, Republicans, I, that's exhibit A, all right? I think you should just take the whole senility issue off the table. All right, where was it? Oh, the New York Times. I got an advanced copy of uh, John, I almost said Michael Bolton. God, I got that in my head. I'll be calling him Michael Bolton all day. <laughs> the book, The Room Where It Happened, I'm going back to the New York Times stories, was obtained by the New York Times in advance of its scheduled publication next Tuesday and has already become a political lightning rod in the thick of an election campaign and a number one bestseller on Amazon.com even before it hits the bookstores. Wow, that's amazing. You know what? I know this is going to sound really cynical, and I apologize. I was wondering, why didn't they give the Ben Jarofsky show an advanced copy of the book? How about that, D? Uh, you know, we'll you, get there one day. We'll get, they didn't give us an advanced copy. I bet you they cut a deal. I could just imagine, like uh, Simon Schuster, the executives of Simon Schuster, the book publishing company, calling up the New York Times. Hey, here's what we're going to do. We're the advanced copy. But you've got to guarantee us prime real estate in that newspaper. And the New York Times, of course, uh, oh, yeah, sure, no problem. It's newsworthy. And then so they justify it by saying, uh, it's a lightning rod. Wait a minute, stop. Frank is waiting. Oh, okay. We have the middle name of okay. Mr. Bolton. Yeah. It's Robert. Oh, that's correct. <laughs> We were both wrong. Yeah. Frank, you were right. <laughs> when we go back to the studio, you're coming in, I'll buy you lunch for being right. If you want to. I mean, you know, pandemic and all. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that, that go Thank you for saying that. Goes yeah. to, we've said that to all our guests. You don't have to. When we go back to the studio, you don't have to. It's like 50-50. Henry Davis, I'm there. You tell me when. I am there, okay? Maya Duke Masaba. She wasn't there. No, she's not there. She's like, uh, mm, 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 mm. that's why we have phones. Okay. Anyway, so they got their advanced copy. I'm sure no deal was struck. It's just coincidental that they put it on the, in the most prime real estate. Anyway, it's a good story. Uh, and uh, but let me. I'll get to the uh, sniveling uh, serpent part of the story. Uh, the Trumps 
had his Justice Department lawyers, these are lawyers for the Justice Department supposed to be representing you, but as we know, we've talked about this with Jim Coogan for a while, they are essentially our lawyers uh, under the retainer of Donald John Trump. Anyway, Trump sent the Justice Department lawyers in the court. They filed a last-minute lawsuit against Bolton. Let's see what it says here. Uh, Against Bolton this week, quote, seeking to stop publication, even as Mr. Trump's critics complain that Mr. Bolton should have come forward during the impeachment proceeding rather than save his account for a $2 million book contract. Oh, Miles is going to get into this a little later, but... Folks, the Democrats very much wanted John Bolton to testify at the impeachment uh, hearings, uh, and John Bolton hid behind uh, this lawsuit. Well, we have to see. <laughs> Get off my behind that lawsuit. <laughs> he said, well, yeah, these certain cases had to be uh, adjudicated before I uh, de- determined whether I uh, should comply I, with that. I uh, see a curly mustache behind that lawsuit. <laughs> Is that you, John? <laughs> Bolton's like, Bolton may have been born at night, but he wasn't born last night. He's I, like, I got a $2 million advance coming out. You think I'm going to tell all of you Democrats? Uh-uh, you want to know? You got to read the book. It's either Yosemite Sam or John Bolton. <laughs> I think it's you, John. He's got the curly mustache. Now, I'm in listeners will go, oh, yeah, that guy. Not the singer. I don't think there's one listener to the Ben Jarowski show can name one Michael Bolton song. Oh, I guarantee you. Live stream chat. Weigh in. Frank, weigh in. I don't believe it. I know you guys, your tastes do not go toward Michael Bolton. But I did discover it when I was uh, doing the uh, uh, pre-show prep. He's so proud of himself when he prepares for his own show, guys. Pre-show. He he did a version of Sitting on the Dock. Did you know that, D? Yeah, yeah. I knew that. You What a lie. You did. No, yeah, yeah, I did. Dude, dude, all right. I uh, I had several uh, car rides with my mother in the late '80s and early '90s. And she loved as a Mike, child. She loved Michael. Bolton. I mean, it was that was on the radio. That was like you know, the soft rock uh, hits. You know, I I just sure he annihilated that song, and I never want to hear his version ever. But uh, I did not know that. Um, and then I read that he stole the song from the Isley Brothers. Anyway, where was I? I've completely lost track. Uh, where were? Oh, so the Trump lawyers. Yes. Um, they went to court to block uh, publication of the book. Why did they go to court, you ask? Good question. Uh, and uh, so here's what the New York Times says. Mr. Bolton's volume is the first tell-all memoir by such a high-ranking official uh, it, uh, who participated in major foreign policy events and has a lifetime of conservative credentials. It is a withering portrait of a president ignorant of even basic facts about the world, susceptible to transparent flattery by authoritarian leaders manipulating him and prone to false statements, foul mouth eruptions, and snap decisions that age try to manage or reverse. That's pretty well written. Peter Baker, good job from the New York Times. So in other words, the book portrays Trump as a blowhard ignoramus. Again, not that that will change one vote in the upcoming uh, election. Uh, As MAGA hat nation has already uh, let it be known, they love him when he's really dumb. Yeah, it's baked in the cake, man. All right. it's Uh, So here's some of the revelations in this. Hold on. Let me get to the page. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Bear with me. Here we go. Excellent audio today, guys. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Some of the revelations in this book. At times, Mr. Trump seemed to almost mimic the authoritarian leaders he appeared to admire. Quote, these people should be executed, Trump once said of journalists. Wow, they are scumbags. These people should be executed, he said of journalists. They are scumbags. That's actually pretty chilling when I think about it. 
uh, when President Xi of China explained why he was building concentration camps in China, the book said Mr. Trump said that Xi should go ahead with building the camps when he thought, which he thought was exactly the right thing to do, quote, end of quote. He repeatedly badgered uh, William Barr to prosecute former Secretary of State John Kerry for talking with Iran, in which he insisted was a violation of the Logan Act. And this uh, final revelation, in the face of such behavior, even top advisors who position themselves as unswervingly loyal mocked Donald Trump behind his back during the president's 2018 meeting with North Korea's leader. According to the book, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo slipped Bolton a note disparaging the president saying, quote, he is full of. Let it rip, buddy. I can't. I can't do it, D. Do it. I can't. Come the New on. York, New York Times literally wrote it out. Let it rip. S-H-I-T. Which it, spells. <laughs> can't do it. Okay. I know somewhere, someplace, Yoda, I'm still thinking of Yoda. Oh, man, you can't swear. They'll take away our license. <laughs> like Trump's listening. <laughs> oh, progressive radio. We're going to take away their license. Oh, man. All right, here we go. I'm going to say it. <clears throat> he is so full of shit. That's correct. <laughs> uh, a month later, Mr. Bolton writes, Pompeo dismissed the president's North Korean diplomacy, declaring that there was, quote, zero probability of success. Now, I'm waiting for Pompeo to come out with a statement saying he never wrote that note, and I'm hoping that Bolton has kept a copy of that note. Maybe for all I know, there's a picture of the note in the book. I won't know uh, because I <laughs> plan never to buy the book. Uh, you know, we'll probably in a bookstore, I'll pick it up. The, don't let anybody know this and look through and look at the pictures. And that kind of thing. Uh, anyway. Uh, when a man loves a woman. It's a Michael Bolton song. Okay, first of all. A cover. It's a thank you. <laughs> I'm sure he annihilated that song, Percy Slit. Win a man. Sorry, <clears throat> where was I? Oh, here I am at the sniveling serpent part of the story. Took me a while to get there. Uh, Trump sent the Justice Department lawyers uh, into court to file a last-minute lawsuit against Bolton. They said that he was violating national security. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny when it uh, comes to Trump and First Amendment, free expression, and how much free expression you're going to allow uh, in the world? Trump's lawyers argue that disclosure of the manuscript will damage the national security of the United States. Oh, my God. It sounds horrible. You know, uh, but uh, to which Simon and Schuster, the publishers of the book, I'm sure are saying, yeah, bring that lawsuit on. Because first of all, they know Trump will lose. And second of all, they know that the more attention Trump gets for trying to bury the book, the more suckers will buy the book. And uh, they need a lot of suckers because John Bolton reportedly got a two million dollar advance for writing the book. Dude. Are you more of a uh, Simon or Schuster guy? Uh, no, you're thinking of Simon and Garfunkel. No, uh, Simon, Simon and Schuster. Schuster. Which one? You look like a Schuster guy uh, to me. I, I'm, I'm not quite sure who's who. Although one of them is the father or grandfather of Carly Simon. And I know you don't know who she is. Anyway, all right. Um, so the, I love the word reportedly in that sentence. He reportedly got $2 million advance, which I guess that means nobody has really... You know, uh, th there's no proof that he got it, but it's sort of the word on the street. Anyway, so he got $2 million. You got to sell a lot of books uh, to make up that $2 million. And now we're at the real sniveling serpent part of uh, the story. The same White House that is trying to uh, block uh, Bolton and Simon & Schuster from publishing the book. 
Uh, they are the White House, the same White House that cries those crocodile tears when everyone and everyone takes offense at something they say. And it was just mm, about a week or two ago that Senator Tom Cotton uh, had the New York Times, which in one of their dumbest moves ever, they gave him uh, space to write uh, his idiocy about uh, how uh, the president should send in troops to put down, to quell the disturbances that were going on in the city at the time by Whatever means necessary, Lord knows how many people would have been killed if that were to happen. Uh, the New York Times put that essay up. You could still read it. There was a revolt uh, in the newsroom as reporters and photographers and editors said, my God, how could you shame us by putting this stuff up here? At which point the New York Times put a disclaimer uh, on the piece that more or less says, don't blame us for this stupidity. It's Tom Cotton's fault. Well, it's not literally what it says, but more or less. Uh, and then what is Tom, how did Tom Cotton respond? He responded by sending out a fundraising appeal saying, I fought the New York Times. I beat the New York Times. Like, like he cares about getting his word out. It's, like, it's not just like a, uh, a weapon in a game, a larger game to raise money. So anyway, when the New York Times writers revolt against Tom Cotton's essay and say, don't publish it, it's censorship. But when Trump sends in his lawyers to literally censor John Bolton and keep you from seeing what he has written, well, that's national security. As Dennis likes to say, rules for thee, not for me. We got a great show today, everybody. Miles Conflass will be here. He'll be talking about Bolton. And he'll also be singing some of his favorite Michael Bolton songs. Thank God. <laughs> I'm sure he's never even heard of Michael Bolton. Yes, he has. Uh, we'll talk about the DACA ruling. We'll ask him if he thinks that uh, these justices, you know, really are like great jurists or whether politicians, political decisions. God, I'm happy they made the decision, but... Uh, you know, a little skeptical about their reasoning. Whatever, as long as they do the right thing. Uh, we'll get his, uh, yeah, we'll get more thoughts on Bolton Gate and also breaking news. I don't know, D, I don't know if you knew this. I didn't know it until I talked to a pre-show prep. Uh, Miles is going to be a delegate, a Bernie delegate. All right. Yeah, so we're going to talk about that. I did not know that. Did you know that? No, yeah, I, I did not know that. I did not know that. Uh, so plenty to talk about with the great Miles Conflassen from In These Times. But before we do that, the young man from Bolton. The man that Miles Conflassen calls. Did you say Bolton? <laughs> yes, I did. Michael Bolton? <laughs> Hold on. Let's. Re hey, when you put that up there, take that part out. Oh, no, okay. that part won't get taken out. I'll edit it out. When he, no, no, please keep it. When he stumbles, it's gone. So this is what you hear. Hey, Dr. D. Hey, man. Man's got to eat. All right, I'm trying to. Uh, he takes out all the WBEZ references, ladies. No, he doesn't. He does not. Uh, where was I? Oh, the man from Alton. The man that Miles Kaflassen and John Bolton called Dr. Doobie with the news. <laughs> now you call John Bolton, John Bolton. God. My coworker, uh, guys. Uh, wait till you hear what's coming up. It's confession time. It's a very embarrassing but confession. Is about I think it's work. safe to say, if you've been to the dentist in the last 30 years, you've heard Michael Bolton. <sighs> yeah, you probably. I mean, I just, I don't know. When, when you said he sang When a Man Loves a Woman, I had a vague... Uh, memory of hearing someone destroy that song but i would never listen to more than like five oh my god this is horrible i can't pick what does he look like long he well he, his, he had signature long hair long curly hair uh he eventually cut his hair but yeah he looked uh had long hair like a skinny fabio Oh, I know Fabio. Fabio, yeah. yeah. Oh, I actually know Fabio. Oh, God. We're heading into confession territory where my ignorance <laughs> is going to be on full display. 
but I must. Be that just sounds like another Ben Jarofsky <laughs> show. So that's good. Anyway, Michael Bolton, John Bolton. What's the difference? <laughs> one's named Michael and one's named John. All right. Like we always do about this time, let's find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. No public events scheduled for our Illinois governor, J.B. Pritzker. So let's get right to the Chicago mayor. Wait. Aren't you going to play? I'm not a perfect person. There you go. Okay. You just did it. Today, Mayor Lightfoot is or was at Lakeshore Drive and 51st Street to mark the reopening of the lakefront. All together now. Thank you, Mayor Lightfoot. <laughs> Thank you, Mayor Lightfoot. That's correct. Better not stand still. We will arrest you. <laughs> Sorry, D. Now, we do have details from Mayor Lakefront's Wednesday City Council meeting, and yes, we're happy to report that the 15th Ward Alderman Raymond Raylo Lopez survived the meeting. <laughs> and as of right now, no new altercations to report between Lopez and the mayor. I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. I think you're 100% full of shit, is what I think. If you think oh, we no offense, fuck you then. Who are you going to tell me I'm full of shit? Oh, my God. That was the old altercation. I'm sorry. I can't. You know, these are bleak times. These are troubling times. It's like we're coming face to face with problems our country's ignored for years, centuries. You know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. But every time I hear that, it just always makes me laugh. God bless Chicago. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, I'm full of shit. Well, beep you. <laughs> All right. Here's a little of what went down during the city council meeting Wednesday. Okay. As Illinois Politico and Shia Kapos put it, it was a high drama video conference that had aldermen unleashing on each other for their actions in wake of protest against police brutality. We'll talk about that in moments. But first. Here are three things that passed. Number one. <laughs> I love that. Number one. A $1.1 billion plan to disperse federal COVID-19 relief money. Yes, that's billion with a B. So that was the first one. Anything you want to say there, Ben? No, that's the song. All right, cool. Let's yeah, go on we'll to number two. number two. Number two. <laughs> go on. Go ahead. Yeah. A measure to help renters facing evictions. Well, uh. Probably didn't go as far enough, but let's move on to number three. And finally, number three. A resolution honoring Juneteenth, the day slavery officially ended in the United States 155 years ago. Now, if you look at your calendar, you'll realize, holy crap, that's tomorrow. But it should be noted that this does not mean you get this June 19th off unless your company says so. Uh, my, I got a notice from my bank that I, they were going to cut hours in honor of Juneteenth. And my first response, well, that's nice. Well, how about abolishing redlining? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? That, that would really be nice if you, like, the banking industry has not actually been a good partner uh, to black people in this country down through the years. How about you abolish redlining when it comes to making loans? I, that would be even better. Than you. How about you pay your tellers more money? How about that, D, huh? How about you just give a raise to your tellers? They're underpaid. Anyway. All right, and what failed at Wednesday City Council meeting? Well, that would be the measure to remove Chicago police officers from Chicago public schools. And that's about uh, when the drama went down here. Uh, according to Politico, the bill to remove school police was caught up in a parliamentary debate that landed the proposal in the Rules Committee. And if you ask Shia Kapos, the Rules Committee is where ideas go to die. Mm, yep, that's where the, where the Rules Committee is. By the way, just want to say this before going any further. I... Uh, Dave Glowetz has confirmed that
that uh, he will be making an appearance next week. He's, he is negotiating the deal right now with attorneys for the Ben Jarofsky show. It's not unlike John Bolton and his lawyers in the New York Times, okay? Where a lot of wheeling and dealing going on when you try to book Dave Glowatz. Uh, ben, uh, Dennis, play uh, the excerpt entitled... Uh, Bolton, uh, and he's negotiating. I think it'll be next Thursday. So anyway, and we will break down the city council, have clips, dynamic stuff from the great Dave Goldwatts. Go ahead, young man. You won't have any Bolton clips. Uh, Dennis, um, play the part that says Lori Lightfoot. <laughs> Dennis is lusting. So before we go any further, just walk us through here, for those who may not know, uh, mm-hmm. the Rules Committee. Just a quick little uh, thing on the Rules Committee. Okay. <clears throat> The Rules Committee is, as Shia Capos wrote, uh, the place where legislation goes to die. Uh, And this has to do with the fact, folks, follow me on this. I've said this many times in the show. In the city of Chicago, we have an interesting uh, interpretation of democracy. In traditional democracy, the legislative body is a separate branch from the executive body. And one uh, overlooks the other. One is a check and a balance, I should say, on the other. But no, 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 not in the city of Chicago. In the city of Chicago, uh, we've decided that it's a good idea to have a democracy where the mayor controls the legislative body. And so in this case, the mayor determines who the chair of the Rules Committee is. So when you move legislation that the mayor doesn't like to the Rules Committee, the chair of the Rules Committee, in this case, I think it's Michelle Harris, guarantees that it never emerges until the mayor says it can. So really what the Rules Committee is is an extension of the mayor's power, as though the mayor doesn't have enough power already in the city of Chicago. Uh, So that's the significance of the Rules Committee. It's where the mayor has the alderman dump legislation that she hasn't figured out what to do with yet. You know, they may take the legislation out, uh, rewrite it, make it, water it down a little bit, and then have one of their favorite aldermen uh, propose it, and then it gets paid. Isn't that interesting how that works, Steve? So it's, it's not unlike Michael Bolton stealing the Isley Brothers song. So what he does, he has this great song by the Isley Brothers. It's a great song. I know what I'll do. I'll redo it and pretend like I came up with it and then come out with it and then fight like hell against the Isley Brothers when they go to court and say, hey, you stole our song. That's what happens with legislation. A lot of Michael Bolton talk today. Shout out to Brianna on the live stream uh, chat. She asked a great question. Why is Ben's voice so high when he imitates Mr. Bike? (laughs) What's that all about? It's not high. No, no. I must. uh, He has that very measured. uh, He's very BEZ like. Dennis, I guess it is a little high. Yeah. Dennis, it's not like this high. It's more like this high. Dennis, it's that very calm, measured. It's like, that's how he does it. Very measured. It's measured. Dennis, play Bolton. Win a man. No, not that Bolton. So uh, that's your answer, I guess, Brianna? I don't know if he answered it really. But anyway, uh, let's move on here. Alderman Chris Taliaferro. Ben of what ward? 29th. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's it's a sickness. Alderman Chris Taliaferro, an ally of Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, performed the legislative maneuvering that killed the bill. After the meeting, Lightfoot said that she was as surprised as anyone oh. the measure was sent to rules. <laughs> oh, God. Did, did she say that with a straight face? <laughs> Come later, Lightfoot, you have learned to play the game. I'm shocked. Well, well, I didn't you're know laughing. that was coming. You're, you're laughing pretty hard there. Explain why. 
Because you know he moved it because she told him to move it. If not literally her, then one of her legislative aides. Uh, Alderman, can do us a favor and uh, uh, send this down to rules? No problem. All right. But, you know, oh, I'm surprised I didn't know that. Huh? <laughs> All right. Now, here's where it gets a little weird. Okay. Oh, God. Not, <laughs> not the show. The show today has already been weird. All right. Here here's we go. where this uh, city council meeting got mm-hmm. a little weird. All right. I love the city council. While the bill was sidelined, mm-hmm. uh, the discussion about police reform raged on, uh, raged on the streets in a protest around City Hall and in a tirade started by the Chicago Teachers Union on Twitter. The Chicago Teachers Union, which has poked at the mayor at every turn since her election. Wait. By the way, those last two lines had Lightfoot's PR team Wait. written all over it. <laughs> Let's just get the That was not literally you writing that. No, that was not me. Dennis did not say the Chicago Teachers Union has been poking at... Uh, no, that was left. from Politico. Okay, one more time. Read that sentence saying, Politico wrote... Go. Oh, there we go. That'll make a real clean edit on the download. <laughs> We'll just edit this whole thing out. People won't even know what's happened. According to Illinois Politico, while the bill was sidelined, the discussion about police reform raged on the streets in a protest around City Hall and in a tirade started by the Chicago Teachers Union on Twitter. CTU, which has poked at the mayor at every turn since her election, by the way, those last two lines had Lightfoot's PR team (laughs) written all over it. Yeah, go on. Is there more? Now it says uh, that the CTU posted this, but it looks like they retweeted uh, this. All right. I don't know if uh, you people listening have seen this or not. Uh, Retweeted from the Chicago Teachers Union was a questionable Scooby-Doo parody cartoon, one depicting Lightfoot dressed up as a cop and tied up with a rope. And understandably so, a lot of raised eyebrows out there in the city of Chicago after seeing this. But if you've yet to see it, you might want to. It's for sure a head scratcher. It's a cartoon picture of the classic Scooby-Doo scene where the uber-Caucasian crew of Fred, Velma, Shags, Daphne, and of course Scooby-Doo, they have the culprit tied up and they have taken off the mask, which in this case, the mask was a white cop. And the culprit was Lori Lightfoot. And she would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for those meddling kids. But seriously, it's a little cringe. Now, I showed this picture to Ben, and uh, it's confession time here on the Ben Jarofsky Show. People, you're not going to believe this. All right. First of all, yes, it is confession time. I'll get to the confession. But let me just deal with that line about they've poked uh, Lori Lightfoot at every uh, turn, okay? The Chicago teacher. Can I just say this? All right. Um, Everybody knows I love the Chicago Teachers Union. SDG, Stacey Davis Gates, is a regular guest on the show. In fact, she'll be showing up tomorrow, D. We can ask her about this cartoon. So I'm a big fan of the Chicago Teachers Union. I don't agree with everything the Chicago Teachers Union has done, by the way. I thought they went way too hard uh, against Lori Lightfoot and for Tony Preckwinkle uh, in the uh, 2019 mayoral election. I don't think Tony Preckwinkle warranted the support they gave her, number one. And number two, I don't think it was a smart political move to just to go so strong against the candidate that was obviously going to win. Okay, so I faulted them. I disagree with them on two, on two fronts there on that uh, matter. But... Having said that, to say they poked at her at every turn since the election as though the poking hasn't gone back. I would say gone back from the other side, like Lori Lightfoot has not antagonized the Chicago Teachers Union. I've always urged Lori Lightfoot to reach out, have the olive branch to Stacey Davis Gates. I don't know why she's got this thing about SDG. And just, you know, you're both basketball players. Remember better said that? I've made the joke. Let's have the one-on-one game. I'll referee the game. Uh, that was a joke, but the... Lori Lightfoot's inability to treat uh, 
the Chicago Teachers Union, with any kind of respect, uh, is you have to observe that. You can't just say the Chicago Teachers Union is, has been poking at Lori. It, they had this power struggle with the, the strike in 2019. I was with the teachers 100%. Because I felt that they should, Lori Lightfoot and the Board of Education should put in writing that they were going to have nurses in schools instead of having vague promises. And boy, does that look pretty smart to do now in the middle of the pandemic to hire more nurses. So it's a two-way street, this fight between the Chicago Teachers Union and Mayor Lori Lightfoot. And to pretend as though, oh my God, Lori Lightfoot's just this innocent bystander while the Chicago Teachers Union, the mean Chicago Teachers Union pokes at her, I don't think that's really fair uh, to the Chicago Teachers Union. All right. Now, where was I? Oh, confession. Stop hitting the desk so hard. All right. This is confession time. I'm a little embarrassed to say this. I couldn't believe this. <laughs> no. There, I, no way. I just, I'm really, I I thought about not saying it and pretending it didn't happen, but then I said, that, you know, Dennis, I can't. I got to, I'm just going to have to come. For show it. prep. So this is show prep on the Ben Jarofsky. And thank God we did the show prep, because if he just dropped this one on me right now, so show prep, let me just set the scene. Show prep, Dennis is in my house. He's eating, wolfing down a delicious sandwich that my wife I made for him. Toast. Oh, <laughs> uh, Well, he just didn't stop you from wolfing it down. This is good. And he goes, he said, did you see this uh, tweet? Which, of course, the answer is no, since I don't look at Twitter. Uh, did you see this tweet from the Chicago Teachers Union? And I go, no, I didn't know anything about it. Uh, which is not even the, the main part of the confession. And then he said, yeah, it involves Scooby-Doo, right? Scooby-Doo, isn't that what it's called? Yes. At which point, folks, I said, <laughs> what is Scooby-Doo? <laughs> oh, my God. And Dennis, he looked at me with such display. I've known this guy. I've worked with this guy for three years. I think I really hit rock bottom. <laughs> Never heard of Scooby Doo. <laughs> He's like the '60s, '70s guy. I Never go, heard of Scooby Doo. No, that, that that's the conversation went. I go, come on, that's some '80s thing. And then Dennis goes, no, it was in the '70s. I go, no way. It was a, we look it up? This is, by the way, pre-show prep on the Benjamin Rives. The clock is ticking down to being on the air. We're looking up Scooby Doo. It came out in 1969. It's a butter cow. I'm like, oh my god, it's really embarrassing. I was like, I vaguely heard of Scooby-Doo. No, Ben said, and I quote, Scooby-Doo, what's that, some ice cream? <laughs> he thought it was ice cream. True. Oh, jeez. Oh, God, I'm through in this business. <laughs> I have no, no wonder they fired me at that radio station. You don't know who Scooby-Doo is? I didn't know who Scooby-Doo is. That Dennis explained that. He did a great job. He explained, like, like they're these kids and they're detectives and they figure out the crime. I think they all smoke pot. I think that's a uh, kind of the underlying thing. No one talks about. You made that up. No, no. I... Okay. And then at, at the end of the show, like there's a bad guy who's got a mask on and they pull the mask off. Yeah. Yeah. And so he showed me uh, the illustration. And that's what he did. And then, then I didn't even get the illustration. I go, I don't understand what's going on. So he had to explain, you know, anyway, uh, yes, I think you went too far, Chicago Teachers Union. Now, but here's the thing. It's a retweet. This is the thing. I, I, I can't stand Twitter. Everybody knows I can't stand Twitter. I think that it, it's, 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 it degrades. It degrades the public conversation, in my general opinion. You know, that's why we have Donald Trump. People love Twitter. Uh, and I realize it's here to stay. I realize we've had so many more 
listeners, if we tweeted our stuff. Mick Dumkey's telling me that all the time. Ben, you got to tweet your stuff out. You got to tweet your stuff out. That's how you get listeners and this, that, the other thing. So I realize it's it here. It's here. People use it. Da, da, da. I understand. Save your comments and your thoughts. You Twitter lovers, you love it. But I just, I think it degrades the conversation. And I just thought that uh, retweeting stupid stuff that people put on Twitter just makes you look bad. Trump's always doing that. And Donnie Jr. is always doing that. They retweet racist stuff. And it just makes them look bad and it gives attention to racists. And so I'm just not a fan of Twitter. I think it just uh, brings down the level of conversation. And in this particular case, my beloved Chicago Teachers Union, I did not like that cartoon that you re- uh, you retweeted. So they retweeted it, D. That's, isn't that a distinction? Uh, but uh, so, yeah, I, I think they should have thought twice before they retweeted that thing. On a side note, I really think you'd like Scooby-Doo. You should give it a watch. <laughs> I don't think no, so. I think you would. Adam West was on at one time. Adam Batman West. and Robin. The Harlem Globetrotters Wait, did an appearance. Adam West was a regular or just a guest? No, he appeared as Batman, and Robin was there too. Oh, can you sing the Batman song? Batman. Dee, 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 dee. <laughs> anyway, Scooby-Doo. Yeah, that was really embarrassing. Oh, my yeah. God. You should have seen. Folks, I wish we had a camera. I wish we had the camera to get the look at that as a space. You don't know what Scooby did. I mean, uh, there's a few on the live stream chat who agree. Uh, let's see here. Claire says, boy, that's a massive cultural blind spot. Uh, yeah, Claire, what can I tell you? You're right. When you're right, Claire, you're right. I admit it. Yeah, so Ben thought Scooby-Doo was an ice cream. <laughs> so let's move on Wait, here. Wait, out. Isn't there some ice cream called Scooby-Doo? Uh, I don't think so. I think I was thinking scoop of ice cream. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> My co-worker, guys. All right. And the big moment of Wednesday's city council meeting came when Alderman Leslie Hairston, been of what ward? Fifth. Uh, it happened when Leslie Hairston, uh, without naming names, Hairston called out two aldermen for appearing on TV, supporting those police officers caught on surveillance cameras in Representative Bobby Rush's office, hanging out, playing words with friends and eating popcorn while looters were recently looting nearby. Hairston said, quote, it's time for this city council to wake up and stop being dismissive. Alderman Anthony Napolitano 41st Ward, and Alderman Nicholas Spazzato, former guest of the Ben Jarofsky Show of the 38th Ward, uh, they were on TV defending the officers. Napolitano appeared with bags of popcorn. Hairston stopped speaking at 8 minutes and 46 seconds, the length of time she noted that a Minneapolis police officer pressed his knee into George Floyd's neck. Yeah, a very powerful uh, speech by Leslie Hairston. I urge everybody to check it out. Um, and uh, yeah, Napolitano, you should have thought twice about the popcorn thing. I don't know. That's like really rubbing it in people's face. It's not unlike what the teachers union did. So I, I think it's worse actually, when I think about it, just the popcorn, it's like your middle finger to protesters, et cetera, and so forth. By the way, that whole story, I'm really looking forward to, uh, just the deep dive on that we there's yeah. that the, the the police officers in Bobby Rush's office is a story I am looking forward to. I'm holding back. Seems like there's just like giant pieces missing in the story at the moment, right? So I'm holding back and see everything. Okay, the head of the Fraternal Order of Police swears up and down that uh, the officers were following uh, the chain of command that somebody ordered them, dispatched them to that office. I gotta see that to believe it. Okay, I gotta see it to believe it. Uh, and uh, so I'm really interested. Uh, the, the bright one, the Sun Times, they had an editorial about a D. Were we seeing eye to eye? 
I don't know. We see eye to eye with my beloved bright one uh, mm. when it comes to editorials, but we see eye to eye on this one. Where is it? Let's get a full report on cops day at Bobby Rush's office. Um, anyway, so uh, by the way, then there's also a, the other headline on the Sun Times editorial. I know this is. Wait, hold on. Where did I just lost it? Oh, where is it? Come on, here we go. Obama, Lou Rawls, reader suggests new names for Jackson Park. Man, I love calling it Lou Rawls Park. I'm a big fan of Lou Rawls and Lou Rawls or Sam Cook. Sam Cook is from the south side of Chicago. I love Sam Cook actually more than we were all. So anyway, I'm on a tangent within a tangent. Go ahead, young man. That's all right. Get ready for that new podcast from Ben Jarofsky. We're going to work on a tangent within a tangent. <laughs> Seriously, that should be a, a podcast that you do. That'd be good times. All right. So uh, we're going to end it out here now. You know, if you've listened to the Ben Jarofsky show for, uh, I'd say, about two months, one of the... <laughs> It's like a, a third character here on the program. The Lakefront. We talk about the Lakefront and the reopening and the closing down of the Lakefront quite a bit. Uh, but there's one uh, specific trail that uh, we never really talk about on this program. Maybe it's because we're not near it, but the 606. Oh, God. Yeah. Mm. All right. Ben, for those who may not know, what's the 606? 606. Okay. I don't think I've ever talked. You know what? By the way, I just want to say this. Uh, I noticed that we do have a lot of listeners. This is something I've actually never talked I've to. I've noticed that we have a lot of listeners, too. Uh, we have a lot of listeners who aren't from Chicago. Or at least they're listening in places other than Chicago. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're uh, Chicagoans who've moved to other places. So I often wonder, like, we spend so much time talking about Chicago. Our out-of-Chicago listeners, like, what do they make of this stuff, you know? Uh, and guys... I don't know. They should be a TV show about the Chicago City Council. I think we all agree that these characters in the Chicago City Council warrant being uh, having their own TV show. Uh, but anyway, for our out-of-town listeners, the 606 is a, a trail. It used to be the, the Bloomington Railroad Trail. It goes through roughly uh, the northwest side of Chicago, uh, like parallel to North Avenue, doing this top of my head. And years ago... Yeah, for years it was just an abandoned railroad track. People would walk along the railroad track, smoking reefer. Yeah, I've done that. Yeah, <laughs> I did that like once or twice. I always kind of liked it when it was just an abandoned railroad Drink track. Drink like a two-by-four, <laughs> smoking a little. Yeah, you know, that's what it was. And then uh, about 20 years ago or 30 years ago, the city of Chicago said, hey, it would be a good idea if we convert it into a trail. Uh, and while they were just... While that was happening, while the money was being raised to convert it into a trail, uh, the neighborhood around it was gentrifying. And so what had been a largely working class, uh, very like, mixed, integrated neighborhood, black people, Hispanic people, largely Puerto Rican, uh, white people, just pretty integrated neighborhood, uh, was gentrified, became predominantly white and um, a well-to-do, a relatively well-to-do. It's been happening all over the north side of Chicago. It's happened in my own neighborhood. Uh, and uh, so it's now become sort of a symbol. And as such, D, I really struggle with this. You know what I mean? It's a symbol of the changes on the north side of Chicago. And, oh, well, now that the area's gentrified, we have this wonderful trail, you know? And so there's like a smugness in Chicago about gentrification that I really struggle with. This was at play with the... Um, we were talking about it yesterday with the Lincoln Yards. They're going to have a drive-in uh, theater there. You know, they they spent all your money to, on this cockamamie deal that we don't need to uh, build more gentrified neighborhoods, even though the area around is already gentrifying. $1.3 billion of your tax dollars is going to it, and things have slowed up. So I know what we'll do. We'll have a drive-in theater and charge you, what is it, $37? 35 35 Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I said corrected. $35. Who can afford $35? 
you know, to go see a movie. So it's a, another symbol at gentrification. And but but Chicago is so oh god, it's so wonderful. And they just love the mayor and the alder. You know what I mean? It's a smugness. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm too cynical. Maybe ah, whatever. Anyway, so the six hundred sixty uh, confession. The more confession. Man, this is confessional yeah, it's like show. Therapy. I know. <laughs> Didn't know Scooby Doo. I've never been on the six hundred six. Okay, never. I've been, well, you're not missing much. It's I an went, awful trail. It's just clogged. Yeah, I've gone by it many times. So I'm when ride my bike up Damon to go to the my beloved Bright One when we had the studio. Uh, but I've never been on it, so I've never had. No, no, yeah, it's like an obstacle course trying to, you know, especially on a bike. I don't think bikes should be allowed on there, honestly. I had mine, and it was just like, this is the worst I'm with idea you. I've ever had. Like, trying to go around people. Oh, don't hit that baby. No, I'm with you 100%. They should take the bikes off of it. But that's, that's another thing about Chicago. See, I love, and I've been riding my bike my whole life. I ride a bike. But the biking community in Chicago, oh, Mr. Bike gets so mad when I say this. But it's, they like a epitomize this smugness i think he's more mad at your impression of him but anyway <laughs> we're such a great city because we ride our bikes i don't know I, it's a little too smug chicago you know a little too smug so i'm not a fan of the 606 oh god they're gonna kick me out of something <laughs> i don't know our 606 fans sorry please keep listening no they love the 606 like man oh come god. on you've gone too far now mm. yeah like all these uh, kicking people out of their apartments <laughs> but what about them but no look at this trail yeah. <laughs> moving all the puerto rican people out of the wicker park but hey look at this trail whoa what a trail <laughs> it's awful but let's keep talking about it the following comes from block club chicago and kelly bauer she does a lot of work for mm. block club chicago hard-working reporter much like the lakefront the 606 will reopen monday Mayor Lori Lightfoot announced the popular, well, it depends on who you ask, <laughs> elevated trails return during a Thursday morning press conference. Though the trail will reopen, it will also, just like the lakefront, be with restrictions due to the ongoing pandemic. The 606 will be open uh, 6 a.m. until 7 p.m. daily. Some of its entrances will be kept closed to prevent overcrowding. Yeah, it's still going to happen, guys. <laughs> and people will not be able to gather on it. Here are the rules. Okay, rule. Uh, hold on, D. I got to write them down. Case this is. This will be the time I go to the 606. Okay, rule number number one. Number one. <laughs> Masks or face coverings. Are required at all times. Got it. That makes sense. Okay. Number two. No congregating. No congregating. All users of the trail and Michael Girardi. Here's the title of your next song. All users of the trail must keep moving. Yes, must keep moving. No, Michael, that is. Yeah, it's your next song. Must keep moving. Move them up. Must keep moving. Got it. Must keep. Don't get tired. No old people allowed on that trail. We get a little hot. Uh-uh. Hey, we got to keep moving. How about number three? Number, number three. three. No congregating on this list, all right? Uh, number three, practice social distancing. Well, okay. All right. I, Good I luck, everybody. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was just going to say, uh, if it's as crowded as it usually is, but whatever. Okay. All right. Is there anything else on the list? Uh, no, those are those are the three rules that I have here. Uh, you forgot number five. Well, number four, but yeah, what is it? No, you forgot. You did the four, but you forgot number five. No, I did the three, but we need number four. I thought you said four was practice social distancing. No, that's number three. No, number three was must keep moving. 
Uh-huh. No. Whoa, who was that not was number t- two? Was no, number two. number two was no congregating. <laughs> You're going to keep arguing, so just let, let's just move on. All right, you forgot the final rule, okay? The final rule is bow to your knees and thank Mayor Lightfoot. Thank you, thank you, thank oh, you. Oh, my God. Oh, he's gonna, thank you, Mayor. Oh, that's Chicago, you don't even have to put that as a rule, Mayor Lightfoot, because that's what 606 users would do anyway. Thank you. That's just, just that's reflex. Anybody? Oh, thank you. We love you, Mayor Wicker Park. We love you, Mayor Life. And because we're not sure what really uh, number that was. Number five. <laughs> Both of them at the same time. And maybe I counted no congregating as it's separate and whatever. You did. Okay. Uh, we have a quote here from Mayor Lightfront. Oh. Light front. I do that all the time now. Now I mix up. I'm I'm hanging with you too much, dude. Oh, no. That's that reefer. Oh, my God. It could be. (laughs) It's that reefer. Marijuana. That's good stuff. Here's, because here, you'll see why I got it mixed up. Here's Lightfoot. Quote, like our lakefront. Ah, yeah. I could see. I would do that. Mm -hmm. I would definitely do that. Like our lakefront, the 606 will be open to anyone looking for an opportunity to run, bike, or walk. Or enjoy the outdoors from 6 a.m. until 7 p.m. Mm. But also, like on the lakefront, we're going to emphasize to Michael Girardi, hope you're listening, keep it moving. <laughs> it's critically important that we not congregate. Congregation is the worry and concern about spreading COVID-19, which still is very much in our presence. I, I definitely think they should take the bikers off at of 606. Bikers have this attitude, especially you younger bikers out there, like walking. Actually, they say, run, bike, walk. Some people walk really slow. Have you ever noticed that bikers, like the, this attitude when they're sharing? Get on your left. On your left. I hate I, on your left. I, I know. Thank you. Because first of all, I'm like, what, what is that? Should I move to the left? I'm just like, what am I? On your left. Would you Lance Armstrong? You know what I mean? Come. And no one's ever doing on your left like real nice or politely. It's like you feel like you're <laughs> pissing them off. On your left. Yeah. I know no one's ever like, please, on your left. Yeah, I know. They do it like you did something wrong. Like your existence is wrong. You're there. You're old. You're going too slow. And so, it's every time. It's usually the, the bikers who are way too into the bike. Yes. With the gear and the... Yes. Just saying that, bikers, you're really way too into it. You're not Lance Armstrong. On your left! So it's like, you know, you can't really have run, bike, walk. Because not everybody walks at the same pace. And the bikers get really mad at, like, slow walkers. And, oh, God, what if, God forbid, someone just stops just... Take a drink of water. Move! Calling a lorry on you. (laughs) Well, you say that, but we do have here, it says, uh, there will be social distancing ambassadors (laughs) monitoring the popular trail to keep crowds away and keep things moving. Wait, time out. This is from the Kelly Bauer article? Yeah, Block Club Chicago. Um, Who who are these people? Ambassadors? (laughs) I don't want to find out. John Bolton? He was an ambassador to the United Nations. Is he going to be there? Hey, anyone listening on the live stream chat, are you a uh, social distancing ambassador? Are these going to be volunteers or paid employees of the city? We got money for social ambassadors on the 606, but we have no money for nurses in schools? Huh? I'm just wondering. We have no money to help people pay their rent, but we got money for social ambassadors. Uh, keep moving, or I'll call Mayor Lightfoot. We will shut you down. We will cite you. And if we need to, we will arrest you, and we will take you to jail. Oh. <laughs> That's what they're gonna do. Hey, enjoy the 606, everybody. <laughs> Don't walk. Don't walk slow. Slow walkers not allowed. 
right, don't so get old, everybody. It's not fun. It's not fair or fun. Don't get old. It's not fair or fun. These words brought to you by Ben Jarofsky. That was good. No, thank you. I just come up with that stuff. I don't know how. Scooby-Doo, D, great show. <laughs> Seriously, I think you would like it. I think you would really enjoy it. That's what he told me. He goes, Casey Kasem voices Shaggy. I, it's pretty yeah, cool. Wow. When you told me that, I was like, Casey, I used to love Casey. Oh, number five. Oh, that was. Was that a good Casey Kasem? No. Oh, sorry. I used to love Casey Kasem. Then he, for a while, they were doing old Casey Kasem's D. I don't know. Maybe they still do this. Like, you know, like this year, 30, this, this day, 30 years ago. Yeah, th- well, Ryan Seacrest, uh, he was doing the Casey Kasem gig there. I don't know. Uh, you had him mention I haven't listened Ryan in a while. Seacrest. But he no, was the I'm guy that took fan. over for a while. Maybe he's still doing it. Uh, I mean. Not I a fan of Ryan Seacrest. Hey, speaking of smug. Oh, boy. Ben is just really sharing his feelings <laughs> with you guys today. I'm not a, I've, I've, I've mentioned not a big fan of Ryan Seacrest before. Mention that before, D. We're paying attention. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. I, I know. I just, you know. Not too concerned with your uh, hatred for Ryan Seacrest. I did not say it was a hatred. It never <laughs> went know. that far. Where's Romana Hussein when I need her? That's one of our favorite discussions. Well, she'll Remember, be on the show tomorrow. She will be. Remember, she tried to get, get, pin me down. Come on, Ben. Admit that you hate Rahm Emanuel. No, I will not admit I hate Rahm. Remember that great debate? I will not admit it. Uh, All right. Uh, we have some uh, on your left talk. Who would have thought we'd be talking about this today? No, that's not the title of some catchy Democratic show. On your left is when people are on their bike. All right. Roe says, I like to know where they are coming up behind on me. On your left is fine with me. Almost have been wiped out many times by speeding cyclists. So there is, there is something you got to do. Just something about on your left. Well, she makes a valuable point. That's a good point. Would I rather have someone bellow, scare me, frighten me from out, from out of nowhere, bellowing on your left, or would I rather be run over? I guess I would. There's something to be said for the bell. I think I'm going to get a bell this weekend. Yeah, or I don't know. The this, bell works. The bell's is, perfect. This is really radical. Slowing down. <laughs> Whoa. How about that? Being concerned about somebody else in the universe as opposed to yourself. Being concerned about the person who's moving at a slightly slower pace than you. you know, Or, are you the master of the universe? Must go at 100 miles an hour or whatever you're doing as you fantasize your Lance Armstrong going up the hills. But you raise a good point, Rose. Absolutely. I'd rather be frightened by a voice booming out from behind me saying, on your left, as opposed to having that person's bike run me over. It's a good point. All right. So before we lose all of our hardcore biking audience, let's just take a break. All right. We hey, by the way, I keep all a, the listeners we can keep. I ride a bike all the time. Just so, just saying. I as well. But I've never said, on your left, I just slow down. I tr- I've, I've done it once, and I just, <laughs> I just chills went down my body. Like, oh, I feel like a douchebag. Uh, All right, guys, that's the news. Uh, Coming up after a song from Michael Girardi, we're going to be talking with Miles Camp Lassen. Ben, what are you going to be talking about with Miles? Well, uh, first of all, one of the things we're talking about is what it means that he's a Bernie Dell. I'm fascinated by the process of becoming a Bernie Dell. I didn't know he was a Bernie Delegate, so uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the DACA ruling. We're talking about Bolton Gate. Uh, maybe we'll get his thoughts on the 606 trail and on your left. Oh, and maybe we'll ask him favorite Michael Bolton songs. You know, I'm sure he's got a few. And let's we gotta know we gotta find out if he knows Scooby Doo. Oh, come on, let's not humiliate me even more. Everyone knows Scooby Doo. <laughs> not one person out there does not know Scooby. Doo. Even I know Scooby Doo now. Good it's a group times. of teenagers and they solve crimes. <laughs> All right, everybody, don't go anywhere. The Ben Jarofsky Show will be right back. Michael Girardi. 
Take it away. This is Bailout.
I've seen a whole lot of catfish, some turtles. Uh, no gators yet, though. back Michael Girardi that that Michael Girardi I cannot say how much I love bailout uh fat cats and their MAGA hats man you know and uh the New York Times may have cut a deal with John Bolton but we cut a deal with Michael Girardi how about that huh that's great stuff Michael Girardi yeah you can find uh, all those songs you can download them uh the songs that you hear on this show uh just type in Bandcamp Michael Girardi G-E-R-A-R-D-I and the songs will be there. Bailout, a new low, uh, the editorial board, tax increment financing, <laughs> the most Ben Jarofskiest <laughs> song on the planet. I, I'm going to have to uh, uh, come up with a, another TIFF column just to honor that song. Uh, I'm probably going to write a TIFF column anyway, but... Uh and hey, if you're, on, if you're on the live stream and this is the only way you listen to the show, well, we highly uh, suggest that you go download part two of today's show. We have a part two. That's right. And we have Benny J bonus interviews. Yesterday's part two was uh, the baby brother of SDG. That's right. Henry Davis Jr. Uh, it was a great conversation. Go download that. And our part two today, we're going to be talking about uh, Spike Lee's latest work, right? Well, Technically, well, this is where the pre-show planning oh, might bonus. have worked. It's a yeah, bonus. It's a bonus. I get so confused on Thursdays. I know. It is it is confusing. But it will be available for download, not tonight, but this weekend. All yes. right. So turns it, out we do uh, stuff. We have something every day for you to download. Over 500 episodes. Go check them out. All right. Now we're about to call Miles Camp. Favorite part of the show where we make the phone call. Will it work? Who knows? I used to freak out over this, folks. Then I realized life is short. What's the point? Yeah, yeah, you know. So here we go. Tick tock, tick tock. Oh, Remember like yesterday? Waiting. Who was it yesterday that they didn't pick up their phone and we got the voice? Oh, um, you're Kevin Blackstone. Uh, that was here we go. Oh, Miles. Yeah. Oh man. Love it when Got technology it. works. That's correct. What's up, buddy? All right. We, we're on the... I'm going to see Miles in about two seconds. Wait, did you change your thing, Miles? It's not the Bulls anymore? Oh. No. I think it should be. Oh, here we go. All right. There we go. All right. Miles Kanflossen, the pride and joy of Whitney Young High School. Uh, and uh, In These Times, editor-writer. Before we go any further, Miles, tell folks what you've been up to at In These Times and what stories you've dropped and what they can read and learn. Go ahead. Tell us. Sure, please. Uh, well, we've got uh, a couple stories on a couple uh, political races coming up. New York has its primary on June 23rd, uh, and we profile a couple of uh, the kind of progressive uh, challengers that are running. Um, Sam Lee Lopez is running in the 15th district, and uh, Jamal Bowman, who's running against Elliot Engel. Um, so we have pieces on both of them up. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're coming in loud and clear. Can you hear us? Uh, uh, and, uh, the, uh, we published a number of pieces on, uh, uh, the kind of conundrum progressives find themselves in, uh, with Joe Biden as the nominee. Of course, uh, you know, Donald Trump is a existential threat to, uh, you know, the, the future of this planet for one, because of his insistence that climate change is a hoax, but also as we've seen, he's a, a giant threat to American democracy, um, and to the future of progressivism in the country. So that said, you know, Joe Biden is not exactly the progressive stalwart many, uh, uh, 
the left had hoped for. So how do we kind of manage that? We have a piece by uh, David Duhalde. He was a former political director of Our Revolution, kind of making the case for something I talked about before in this program, which is uh, the importance of going down ballot and working on uh, races that are not necessarily at the top of the ticket, but that can boost Democratic turnout and ultimately, of course, help Democratic candidate, Joe Biden in this case, but allow, you know, progressives to work on issues that are close to their heart, whether that's, you know, uh, fighting for progressives in the swing state of Pennsylvania, like Nicole Saval, who just won his primary, um, or elsewhere. And then we've done tons of coverage on the, um, the protest movement, uh, uh, around the police killing of George Floyd and the demands for racial justice that have come out of that. So we've got a whole slew of coverage um, on those issues. So yeah, check out inthesetimes.com. We've got tons of uh, stuff for you to, to read. All right. Uh, yeah, that uh, Jamal Bowen, um, Elliot Engel race is an interesting one. I just saw, we talked about this earlier. I forget when, what day, I've lost track of time. Uh, uh, Hillary Clinton had come out for Elliot Engel. Uh, and I believe Bernie Sanders is for Jamal uh, Bowman. Uh, I believe he's come out for him. Am I correct on that? That's right. So Bowman um, has the support of a, a number of progressives around the country. Of course, um, Justice Democrats, which is the group that kind of propelled Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, to, um, to to win her seat. She's actually up for, you know, she has, she's facing a primary as well. She's certainly predicted to win, but there's plenty of corporate money fighting her uh, in her district as well. But yeah, Bowman has the support of Ocasio-Cortez, of Bernie Sanders, of the Justice Democrats. He just got the support of the New York City uh, Democratic Socialists of America. Um, and more and more support is really rolling in for him. I mean, what, what's interesting about that race is it's kind of a, um, the flip side of what we saw happen in the presidential primary, where there was this massive um, consolidation of the moderates in the race behind Joe Biden before Super Tuesday. Um, what happened is there were a number of other progressives running uh, against Engel in that race, and they all lined up behind Bowman yeah. in order to, um, you know, empower his challenge. And as a result of that, there's new polling out that shows Bowman ahead by like 10 points in that race, which would be a massive upset for the um, Democratic establishment if they if they lose that race. Because as you pointed out, Hillary Clinton has come out in support of Elliot Engel, but so have like the Congressional Black Caucus, so have, you know, Chuck Schumer and Andrew Cuomo, all of these, you know, parts of the uh, traditional Democratic Party establishment have tried to protect the incumbent, but it really looks like um, Bowman has, has a real shot. Well, you know, this is an old theme in uh, politics, particularly here in Chicago and state of Illinois, uh, Michael Madigan, you protect incumbents. And uh, that's just a, sort of the, the knee-jerk reaction. They're all partners in in crime, if you will, in, the, in Congress. Uh, they're friends, they're colleagues. Uh, they've worked together for many years, and so, yeah, it's part of their club. Uh, and uh, it's incumbent on voters to make up their own minds without uh, listening to the Michael Madigans of the world. I'm putting Madigan in New York, but it happens here in Chicago all the time. Uh, I remember when Mike Quigley ran against Samina Mustafa, uh, there was um, the, all the party came around Mike Quigley, uh, and uh, very few people gave Samina any attention. She was running at him from the left. So, yeah, if progressives, this gets to your point, uh, Miles, if progressives want to turn the party or move the party to the left, it's these primary races 
that they have their opportunity to do so. And it's in districts like Elliott Engels in New York where they can do so because you would think based on the demographics, it would be to uh, Bowman's advantage. But this is just what you were talking about, like thinking locally, if you will, uh, when it comes to politics. Exactly. And I think that I agree with you, but I think there's also what's interesting about this cycle is that there have been a number of uh, progressive challenges, even in more traditionally um, red or at least purple districts. And um, one example of that is Charles Booker's race in Kentucky. Um, They have a primary coming up as well. And he's um, he, he's, he's running and polls show that he is, you know, uh, right now new polling shows that he, and he's a, you're running as a progressive. He's a, been a, you know, community organizer and, uh, in Kentucky and a black man who's running against kind of the, um, the, the, Amy the person, McGrath. Amy McGrath, yeah, who, who the, who the establishment has gotten behind. She's raised tons of money. She ran for Congress before in Kentucky. They kind of inserted her, said she's going to be the candidate to run against Smith you know, incredibly important because it's a, a race against Mitch McConnell, kind of the Darth Vader of our uh, political era. Um, and it's in a red state. And yet Charles Booker is uh, beating uh, Amy McGrath in some of these polls. So if he comes out, I mean, that could really galvanize this progressive movement. And polls even show him performing. Mitch McConnell is still expected to win the race in a general against either of them. But Booker performs much better than uh, than Amy does in, in the polls. So that's a chance where progressives could get into even a state like Kentucky, not a Democratic stronghold. Um, and work to, to put somebody in office. And as I said, there's a, there's candidates like Nicholas Saval who just won in, uh, his primary in Pennsylvania. That's an incredibly important swing state for Democrats to win in November. Um, and so if you have people out, you know, knocking doors or whatever camp, campaigning is going to look like in, in November in the Corona age, um, but working to get out the vote, um, They'll, that will only help Democrats up and down the ticket. And you can do that by supporting these uh, uh, candidates who now, who are, you know, we're living in a new era where it's not toxic to be a explicitly left-wing Democrat running on a pretty, you know, bold, redistributive platform like a lot of these candidates are. Yeah, and my recommendation to uh, progressives and Democrats uh, in Kentucky, not that anyone listened to me on this point, but... Uh, if your candidate loses, just don't drop out. In other words, if you're a Charles Booker supporter, and I probably would vote for Booker if I lived in Kentucky, uh, and it, let's say he lost Amy McGrath, you still want to defeat Mitch McConnell. I mean, ultimately, that would be a worthwhile objective. And the same is true on the other side. Ooh, do we lose there? No, we're still there. If uh, Charles Booker uh, defeats Amy McGrath and you're an Amy McGrath supporter, you know, don't just abandon the goal of defeating Mitch McConnell. That in and of itself is a worthy goal, just like defeating Roy Moore in Alabama was a worthy goal. Doug Jones, who was the the victor in Alabama, uh, is probably more in line with Amy McGrath than he is with Charles Booker uh, on terms of issues. But it was a, a significant win to just to defeat a reptilian character like Roy Moore. So that would be my advice to moderate Democrats. Don't have a hissy fit if uh, Charles Booker uh, is victorious. And the same thing to my um, lefty friends. You know, don't go into hiding because you think you're above voting for Amy McGrath if Charles Booker. That's my advice. I don't know. Do you share that that opinion? 
Uh, I, I mean, there's things about Amy McGrath that, I mean, she said some things like she's kind of trying to out McConnell in terms of like who will work better with President Trump, which to me is a confounding way to run in a Democratic primary when you're, you know, running against, as I said, a president who is an existential threat to the future of this country. That said, Mitch McConnell is uh, one of the darkest figures in modern American politics, and I think will go down as such. So um, ousting him would be uh, with, with somebody with even a modicum of more, you know, liberal, progressive views would be a massive victory. So yes, I, I, I think everyone uh, in Kentucky should commit themselves to trying to ditch Mitch. All right. Now, before we go any further, I want to ask you your thoughts on uh, John Bolton and uh, the DACA ruling Supreme Court. Uh, but before we get into that stuff, you dropped a bombshell uh, on me before we went on the air, a, a mini bombshell. Uh, it's a bombshell on the Ben Draski show that you're going to be a delegate, a Bernie delegate at the Democratic National Convention. And I, was, I remember when you said, I go, what? And uh, <laughs> so why don't you ex- <laughs> why don't you explain how the process works? Because I didn't. Even I'm a geek. I didn't even know this was going on. I wasn't paying attention. Uh, if I don't know, then I'm sure a lot of our listeners don't know either. So what what went down? What was going on in the back rooms? This smoky Yeah, back this rooms. is all part of a smoky uh, deal that I made with some party apparatchiks. You know, me and Mike Madigan pat me on the back. That's, you know, all this stuff goes. No, I mean, it, it, it's pretty, uh, I, I mean, it's, it's exciting to be uh, able to represent a candidate like uh, Bernie Sanders, who was, um, you know, I think a transformative candidate and has played a transformative role in American politics by uh, bringing a critique of capitalism into mainstream discourse and pushing forward and moving to the left um, the uh, the debate in in this country around critical political issues. I mean, just take Medicare for all. Like, would we, we be talking about Medicare for all as much as we do? Would we have candidates running on it? Would we have, you know, local bills pushing for it? If we didn't have a champion like Bernie Sanders pushing it into the national view, I don't I don't think we would. So um, so it's exciting to be representing him. In terms of the process, uh, it still kind of confounds me. I mean, I was, there's, there's various types of delegates, of course. There's, you know, elected officials who serve as, you know, delegates. So, for example, Carlos Ramirez Rosa, who's an uh, alderman of the 35th War, frequent guest on this show. I know he's uh, similarly going to be a Bernie delegate, but he plays a different role because he is an elected official. And so he kind of steps into that role. Then there's elected delegates who, you know, you might have seen on your um, ballot when you voted uh, uh, in the in the past in the most recent election. If you did go out to vote, even though that was in the midst of the early days of this pandemic. Um, there, there were people that were actively running. And then, you know, when a candidate wins uh, a certain number of votes, and Bernie Sanders did win, you know, a, a large share of the vote in Illinois, they get allocated a certain number of delegates that then the campaign kind of uh, selects. And then there's still kind of a voting process, but you get nominated. So that's kind of where I came in. I don't know the whole behind the scenes uh, effort, but um, but I think it had to do, you know, with some of the work I did uh, in terms of, as I talked about on this show, a lot of canvassing, a lot of um, work to get Bernie's message out there. So the uh, flip side of it is that while it is exciting, nobody really knows what is going to happen. There's still not a decision on whether there's going to be an actual uh, in-person 
convention that is, is still right now set for the week, I think, of August 17th in Milwaukee. Uh, and all the, you know, the places are booked, the hotels are booked up and everything, but it's, yeah, it, it, I think it's unlikely there's going to be a massive in-person indoor convention in August. Uh, it's hard for you to imagine the Democratic Party kind of giving the green light to. I know plenty of people want to see that happen, um, but in terms of public safety, I don't know what it's going to mean if it's going to be a virtual convention or a much smaller scale version of it or or what. But uh, I promise as my, as soon as I find out any of that info, I will pass it on to you and your listeners. Yeah, no, it's uh, I, I've talked a lot about or I've talked a bit about uh, Donald Trump and the Republicans. Uh, they moved the site of Donald Trump's acceptance speech from Charlotte, North Carolina, to Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, Trump doesn't want any social distancing protocol in place, like such as the protocol that uh, North Carolina was insisting on. He doesn't want to have to deal with that. And uh, Florida said, hey, do you want to cram the facility with uh, MAGA hatters and no one's wearing masks? And Go ahead. So he's going to have it in Jacksonville. Uh, the Democrats, again, have to play, you know, they they have to sort of pretend as though <laughs> pretend they have to act as though they really take it seriously, uh, the uh, outbreak and uh, the pandemic. And so, yeah, I don't know if they're going to I can't imagine they're going to squeeze. Like here I'm sitting here in June, Miles, trying to picture, you know, thousands of Democrats squeezed into an arena in Milwaukee. Uh, you know, sitting right on top of each other so that there's a you get that good visual of Joe Biden speaking to a jam-packed auditorium or a jam-packed arena. I don't know if they're going to allow that. I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, do there's, have, there's rumors that they'll like potentially move it to like Brewers Park or something, some some place that's larger that they can have people more spread out. Okay. Um, but but I don't exactly. I mean, it's hard to uh, conceive of a situation like that being safe uh, uh, under the current circumstances. That said, I mean, there's maybe it could be moved outdoors in some way. I don't know. I'm sure there's plenty of people at the DNC scrambling around right now trying to figure out what the heck to do. And to be honest, I mean, the fact that uh, Trump is having this rally uh, on Saturday in Tulsa, Oklahoma, this is he's planned this rally, uh, 19,000 seats. Uh, uh, arena there where he's going to hold this indoor rally and you know the the Trump fans are not fans of masks and Trump himself obviously is and he refuses to be uh, you know photographed in one so uh, I can't imagine that these you know majority of these people are going to be wearing masks and Oklahoma is seeing their uh, COVID-19 rate spike right now and public health officials and elected officials in the state have all urged the president to reconsider to to cancel the event or to at least move it to an outdoor arena and he has so far said no um so it really is it's a surreal moment where these issues of basic public safety are becoming kind of partisan fights where you know republicans want to show they stand with the president and the president is telling them act like a global pandemic isn't happening even as the um the rate threatened to overwhelm the healthcare facilities in a number of these states like Arizona and even Florida, which you mentioned earlier, where the um, where the uh, RNC is planned for now, 
that the Florida looks like it might become the new epicenter of coronavirus cases in the country. So to be, you know, hosting these massive indoor events, it just seems like it's like demented. It's like, how could you as a president uh, choose to not only um, send a message that this type of activity is okay when public health officials say and experts say it's not, but also to actually potentially infect the, you know, thousands of your supporters through hosting a, uh, an event like this. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a very strange time when you think about the politics of it. Well, I'm just trying to picture you, uh, Miles, as I listen to you, uh, at a convention with like a Hawaiian shirt on and uh, a donkey button and a We Love Joe button and a big hat. I'm not really picturing that, Miles. It's not coming up. Uh, it's it's a new day and age uh, if you're a delegate at the convention. I, I do hope there's some kind of convening. I don't know how they're going to pull it off, but I do I do hope the Democrats have some kind of. And I love I'm a sucker for convention speeches. All right, let's move on. Uh, but congratulations on being a delegate. I'm kind of jealous of you there. I didn't want to come out and say it, but I am. I think that's pretty cool. All right, let's talk about John Bolton and uh, his uh, book just emerged. Uh, the the did Trump, uh, Trump sent in the Justice Department lawyers to try to, to keep uh, Simon Schuster from publishing it. Uh, I've already talked about this, an act of utter hypocrisy uh, on the part of the right that says it believes in liberty and free expression, etc. Now they're proclaiming national interest and the same uh, security concerns. At the same time, I'm having a hard time getting excited about any book written by John Bolton, a man I disagree with on virtually everything except uh, we both uh, despise the Trump administration. What's your take on all this? Well, I'm with you. I think there's uh, it's very difficult to try to stand on the side of protecting the speech of a uh, longtime warmonger and like known liar. I mean, John, John Bolton, I'm sure your listeners are familiar and don't need a real refresher, but he, this is somebody who was not only part of the Bush uh, Cheney regime, Rumsfeld, Ashcroft and all this, that was pushing the lies that led us uh, on the march to the war in Iraq, um, which led to, you know, um, tens of thousands of deaths, up to a million Iraqi deaths. Um, And, you know, we're still facing the consequences geopolitically today of uh, that massive uh, campaign of lies. Uh, But he is also somebody that was too extreme in his right-wing, like radical right-wing philosophy to even get confirmed by a Republican-controlled Senate uh, when he was nominated by George W. Bush to be the ambassador to the U.N. So the the only way he really got back into politics was he got picked out by Trump, you know, and partially because of how outspoken he was uh, about the need to take military action. You know, he's frequently talked about the need to uh, take more aggressive stances and more aggressive military action against Iran, against North Korea. Uh, and Trump liked the sound of that. So it's kind of ironic that it now he's the one that's being embraced as this resistance figure when he was picked out because of his uh, belligerence uh, by Trump and put into that position. And the things that he's alleging in the book, uh, that they kind of fall in line with what we know already is that Trump has a penchant for authoritarian leaders around the country. He wants to support them. He wants to be like them. 
and 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 mimic their you know approaches to for, uh, foreign policy and even to domestic policy as well in terms of like crushing dissent. The prime example is we see you know Trump doing this photo op in front of St. John's Church while having protesters cleared out with tear gas in uh, in, in Washington D.C. in the nation's capital. I mean that's something straight out of a dictator's uh, handbook. Uh, but now that you know this Bolton book is out, we're seeing Trump freak out again, as he always does. Because he, what he does is, I mean, this is the thing. Trump says, if you work for me, if you work in the White House, you, if you do anything, you have to sign an NDA. You have to sign a non-disclosure agreement. It's a very strange move for a president uh, to take, but this is what he uh, he does. So not only is he being sued. And Trump has also claimed, by the way, that any conversation that he has with anybody is is deemed classified. There's no legal backing to that, but that's just what Trump says. And I think it speaks to the fact that what this lawsuit is really about, because it's not a court order, right? Like this is a, this is, they're just saying they're filing the lawsuit. They're not stopping the printing of the book. Um, It's not to say this isn't a real lawsuit, but it seems to me like more of a message and more of, it's meant to have this chilling effect. Like the book is still going to come out in a week. The lawsuit, I don't think, is going to actually stop that. Um, the reason they're saying it uh, it should that the reason they filed the lawsuit is because they say it, for one, like violated national security by by leaking some type of classified information, um, even though they're not super specific about that, and that it violated this NDA. And that's something I think we're going to see more of uh, as people from the Trump administration try to um, speak and you exercise their First Amendment rights once they're outside of the administration. Um, Trump doing a classic businessman move he's done throughout his career of saying, you know, you, and this is what like celebrities do when they go on, or anybody when they go on reality TV, they have to sign NDAs so they can't talk about anything that happened. Um, Trump is bringing that into uh, governance now. And so that's a result of this too. So I think it speaks to so many issues that have to do with this president's um, real hatred of democracy and free speech. It's just, I, at the same time, I also don't believe that John Bolton really has any uh, credibility as a, a opponent of this president since he served willingly under him for so long. Yeah, and uh, it, it's also just a knee-jerk reaction by Donald Trump, you're right, to just to be the bully. Uh, and to turn MAGA hat nation uh, against John Bolton, which is so bizarre, Miles, as you pointed out, because it wasn't that long ago that MAGA hat Fox TV, you know, was celebrating John Bolton as a visionary, a great thinker. Uh, and it was based on his performances on Fox TV that Trump decided to hire him and bring him into the White House. So it's uh, a fight of Trumpsters. And you're right, when he files this lawsuit, it'll help pivot, turn MAGA hat against Bolton, turn him into a, uh, a real villain in their eyes. Your thoughts on Bolton getting the $2 million advance, that's what reportedly he got, uh, to tell everything in a book as opposed to getting no money and telling everything uh, under oath before a congressional committee. Your thoughts on that? Well, I think you just uh, summed it up right there. I, I, there's no doubt that this was a, you know, self uh, aggrandizing move by uh, John Bolton to uh, do a tell-all, you know, style memoir 
Uh, he'd been planning it for a while, too. I mean, that's the other side of this, is that Bolton had planned to release this book much earlier, and it's kind of been held up, as I understand, through the, um, you know, when you, when you when a former employee of the administration wants to publish a book, it has to go through uh, vetting in order to see if it does have any classified information in it. And basically, they just held up the book for many, many months. The, the Trump administration didn't refuse to sign off on it. And then Bolton was basically like, well, I'm just going to go ahead and publish it with Simon and Schuster. And then the Trump administration announced all these things that supposedly violate the um, clauses around classified information at the last minute that seem like maybe they don't hold up. Uh, but yeah, I mean, John Bolton, if he wanted to have an impact, I don't think it would have necessarily swung any Republican votes. I think they were dead set on protecting this president and nothing that was said in those impeachment hearings was going to, to move them, which is why, you know, it's questionable how effective of a, of a tactic it was to rein in this president uh, by the Democrats. But that said, if John Bolton actually wanted to impact how this president operates and to have some type of accountability on him and his administration, that's how he would have gone about it. He would, he would have spoken under oath to Congress rather than writing a multi-million dollar book deal. The, um, the rub of it, though, now is that one of the things that could come out of this lawsuit is actually trying to recover the profits from it, from the book sales. Um, and it's being run through the lawsuits being filed through the DOJ, through, you know, Bill Barr, William Barr's Department of Justice. So that's, uh, if they do go through with it, they have a strong hand and to demand that because Bolton supposedly broke this NDA, that he wouldn't be entitled to future profits from the book and that, uh, Trump and the Trump world could actually uh, uh, pull those future profits away from him. So, yeah, that's that remains to be seen. But all in all, it seems like a pretty uh, uh, yeah, self-aggrandizing move by Mr. Bolton. Yeah. And by the way, we, we'll get it. It's a perfect transition uh, if, it, if it goes to court, uh, to the DACA ruling, because ultimately the, it could come down to the Supreme Court having to render a decision on there, uh, whether the NDA takes uh, precedence over his First Amendment free expression rights. But uh, let's just just this, I cannot let this moment pass. This notion that Donald Trump is suddenly declaring that there's a national security interest at stake, so we must uh, censor, we must block publication of John Bolton's book from the same man who every step of the way, every time they're investigating him, wants the investigators to have to reveal all their sources, to have to testify under oath to explain why it was exactly that they launched their investigations. Donald Trump is such a fraudulent human being. There's nothing resembling like a consistency. There's no principle to anything he does, Miles. Just when you were talking, I was just thinking about this. <laughs> I remember when so many MAGA hatters were like, let's get the truth out about the investigation into Donald Trump and Michael Flynn and who, what are the origins and let's get FBI uh, investigators under oath, FBI agents to speak under oath. And I, of course, as a believer in transparency, it's like, yeah, more, the more the merrier. And then they flip around. Yeah. They're, they're never with you when it wants transparency on their side. You get what I'm saying? So you, if you stand up for a principle like more transparency, you know what people are up to, you're never going to find a Trumpster or a MAGA hat wearer on your side when it's their guy in the spotlight. I just had to get that off my Do you agree with me on that one, Miles? Oh, yeah. 100%. I mean, I think that that's, there's a whole element here, not just of hypocrisy, but like the. Uh, 
but this this is run through government as well. I mean, one thing that I find interesting is that even under the Obama administration, there was this effort to suppress uh, leakers and whistleblowers. And whenever there's anything uh, that could threaten the, admi- the administration that's in power, or that you know comes into the question of you know, national security or what have you, suddenly these free speech arguments do tend to go out the window. It's especially hypocritical, though, as you said, when it comes from the same people that have been saying, you know, that there's this conspiracy against Trump and the deep state and the globalists and, you know, all this kind of weird alt-right QAnon uh, world, you know, feels about, you know, everybody, everybody's up against Trump. And if only we could get to the truth of the matter and like reveal yeah. the true story, people would open their eyes. But then at the same, you know, breath, go ahead and defend Trump, you know, covering, refusing to release any information that has to do with, you know, national security or the truth about how he's run his administration. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it's not politically transparent at the very least absolutely all right let's move on to uh the supreme court Uh, as i was coming on the show the story is breaking about uh the DACA ruling five to four john roberts joining the uh, four uh i call them democrats some people call them liberals whatever you want to call them uh the 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 left branch of the supreme court Uh, john roberts was a swing vote uh, a couple days ago, John Roberts joined Neil Gorsuch uh, with the liberals uh, to preserve the rights of, of gay people from being fired just for being gay. Uh, and uh, so, first of all, I haven't had an opportunity to break through uh, to to read uh, the the ruling uh, in Miles because it happened right before I went on the air. Can you just give us any updates? Uh, I haven't. Have you had an opportunity to read it or, or read about it anyway? I, I've, I've looked over uh, some, you know, reviews of the uh, the brief, and it does look like the uh, it's it's tricky because with a lot of these things, you know, there's the classic case of, you know, you remember when the Roberts Court uh, and Roberts actually, you know, uh, wrote the ruling on it, uh, actually upheld the individual mandate in Obamacare. That was, you know, many years ago. Now, obviously, when Obama was still president, but initially it was all misreported as the as they struck it down so you got to be you you've got to like take a breath when these you know rulings come out and really like look through what is actually said and that's my issue with some of the initial headlines around this story that just said trump you know supreme court rules trump can't end daca um well this is obviously a major victory for the immigrant rights movement in america and you know there's eight hundred thousand. Uh, young people, dreamers that have been protected and um, have been allowed to remain in the United States and not be deported as a result of uh, that program. So this, the fact that it is going to remain in place and is protected from Trump's really, you know, just sickening efforts to uh, try to deport these young people and to shut down immigration in the U.S. wholesale, all of that is cause for applause. Um, that said, there is, what the court ruled isn't that Trump can't end DACA. It's that the way that he went about doing it through these executive orders uh, is was improper and unconstitutional, essentially. Um, that doesn't close the door on future attempts by this administration or another administration in the future to go about another route to achieve the same end. 
So I think the fight is still not over, unfortunately, on this issue of uh, of the DACA program and will require, you know, mobilizations. I'm somebody who believes strongly that the while the court might seem out of public control and that these people have lifetime lifetime terms and, you know, they're appointed and not elected. It's an incredibly undemocratic body. It is still somewhat, and we've seen this historically, I think, reflective of um, the public public attitudes and public opinions and public moods and organizing. And so uh, I think that the immigrant rights movement in this country has seen a lot of blows under this president, but it is still a vibrant you know, part of our democracy. And that it, as people continue to organize to defend immigrant rights, um, I think you'll see the um, public opinion continue to move in favor of immigrant rights, which it has even under this president who has been so explicitly um, against immigration. Um, and because of that, I think, we, you know, it, it will be a positive thing, but I would just, I think we should be sober, you know, and, and not think that this means that Trump, his, his hands are tied and he, there's nothing more he can do. I, I'm sure he's still going to try to find some new legal mechanisms to, um, to go after this. The one good thing though, you know, to editorialize a little bit is that what it seems like is Trump gets bored very easily. And so he could move on from things and he might, so he might just give up on this and go for, you know, try to do something else. I think you saw this, especially when it came to, um, the, uh, coup in Venezuela, you know, that was a big thing that the administration was pushing. And, and then they realized that it wasn't really working and that, they weren't getting their, you know, guy in power, and Trump basically admitted he just got bored with it, and they decided to put their efforts elsewhere. So yeah. um, that's that's a possibility here too, as well. So all to say, you know, very positive thing, and I it, I think it's a great day. I was not expecting, you know, two pretty positive Supreme Court rulings out of this bench um, this year. So the fact that uh, uh, both the um, LGBTQ ruling you mentioned earlier and that uh, DACA ruling came through is, is definitely good news. Well, I, I, the cynic in me says, uh, first of all, it's, uh, it's a very long shot that he'll lose interest in this particular issue, uh, like Venezuela, uh, because, of course, this launched his political career, his um, condemnation of people who, uh, immigrants in this country. Uh, but uh, it is, I, I will be watching, you're absolutely correct, it's a very political court, and we'll see which way the Republicans in the court go, if they think it's in the best interest of the Republican Party, and that's my cynical view of how they rule. Uh, to, I, to move. I, I yeah. kind of agree with that. I think, I think that the, the Republicans really avoided um, a potentially huge blow here, because I think if the court had ruled against DACA, I mean, obviously the effects of it would have been catastrophic for these young people and also in terms of LGBTQ rights in the workplace. Um, but negative rulings on those, I think, would have really inspired a big backlash from from Democrats. Uh, and I think we would have you know, seen that in November as well. So I would not be shocked if that was part of their calculation in, in, in these rulings. All right, Miles, before we uh, go, we have a question from one of our listeners. Dee, what is that question? Absolutely. Live stream chat question. Uh, first off, Miles, our live stream chat room loves you. Can you uh, do us a favor? Just say, hey, live stream chat, how's it going? Yep, live stream chat, love y'all. Yeah. That's a shout out for you guys. Oh, yeah. All right, Stephen on the live stream chat. Uh, he says, can you ask Miles to comment on the Boogaloo movement? Oh, yeah. We didn't talk about that. We, the Boogaloo movement. 
Well, this fits in with kind of what we were we were discussing earlier. I mean, you know, I mentioned QAnon and 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 so forth. Boogaloo boys. This is a you know a part of the the, the sick results of our um, internet age mixed with the history of this white rights uh, you know white nationalist movement in the United States has. Um, led to this like sick toxic bubbly cauldron of uh mainly like angry dispossessed white guys that have decided that they are going to be helping to lead a you know modern race war a modern civil war or something and that these uh all of these protests are opportunities to accelerate that um and we've seen examples of you know police uh, departments throughout the country arresting some of these uh, people that associate with this boogaloo movement. And uh, unfortunately, before, I know you jokingly referred to me as potentially uh, wearing a Hawaiian shirt. That is kind of their trademark as they wear these Hawaiian shirts around. And um, uh, But they're also usually heavily armed as well. And that's the thing is these police departments have recovered massive troves of ammunition and, um, and firearms from these individuals. So very dangerous. I think that this speaks to the fact that there is still this kind of strong militia-like movement and it's part of it being fueled by Trump himself um, and the, you know, Steve Bannon's of the world and all these right-wing populists who want to encourage this uh, type of right-wing racist hate. Uh, I do think that still, there's still a, a huge minority though, and that's part of the reason they were not able to uh, hijack these legitimate protests against races, structural racism and police brutality and turn them into some type of race war. So I, for the record, very anti-Boogaloo. Uh, and uh, D, is there another question that we have? Well, there's a question that Dennis had for you, uh, uh, Miles, before we right let on. you go. The, it's a trivia question. Uh, we were talking earlier, I was going on a tangent, within a tangent, as I uh, often do, talking about John Bolton, this is the start of the show, and uh, I went on a tangent about Michael Bolton, and so Dennis wants to, Michael Bolton, the singer, Dennis wants to know what's your favorite Michael Bolton song, or can you even name one Michael Bolton song, just so you know, I was unable to incapable of naming a michael bolton song so what's your favorite my favorite favorite michael bolton song you know i really appreciate your candor there and i <laughs> yeah very humble i uh i'm coming up with blanks I, for some reason I, at first i was thinking you meant michael mcdonald who i do uh know and enjoy his uh, his his song book but michael bolton is the long long blonde haired yeah, singer right? correct yeah. yeah yeah looks like looks like skinny fabio yeah. he looks like skinny fabio yeah. i do know fabio famously got hit in the face with a bird at an amusement <laughs> park which was no i i i'm coming up with blank uh there are you a fan of, is that could be a, a michael bolton fan huge got a tattoo it goes oh, it yeah. says i love mike yeah uh, no he doesn't uh, no this it's been a really humbling day for me uh miles i'm gonna go have to have a drink and just forget it because i've been humbled on a couple fronts oh, listen to this uh, yeah all right <laughs> we, i found out today because oh, of God. the whole uh ctu uh scooby-doo thing ben's yeah. ben's never heard of scooby-doo he didn't know what scooby-doo was. was that's really amazing he's he hasn't let me forget that one he said I, what is that an ice cream <laughs> Uh, so oh. I, I, 
Miles is stunned. He's speechless. But I, I had heard of Michael Bolton. I, I just did not know any Michael. And then I looked it up on the internet and discovered that he has um, butchered many great songs uh, with his cover versions of them. So, uh, what did we do? Where are you? I, that's a classic uh, theme song. I figured that that would have come across your plate at some point. It was popular in the seventies. Well, that's uh, that was an embarrassing moment. I said to Dennis, "Come on, man, that's some '80s stuff." I wasn't paying it, and he goes, "No, it's the '70s." And I looked it up, and it was 1969. I was I was so into sports. I don't know what I was doing miles man i was about following the bulls i didn't know about scooby-doo i was following the bulls and george mcgovern okay and, and eating pizza so i didn't know about scooby-doo anyway what a humbling day for me i'm just gonna go lick my wounds miles thank you so much great job as always keep up the good work miles conflassen from in these times stay safe all right miles you too good to talk to you all right that's the great miles conflassen comes on the show uh once a week, once every other week, something like that. Yeah, he's uh, for the live streamers, he's he does a lot of our bonus interviews as well. So if you've yet to download those bonus interviews, what's your problem? Yeah. And yeah. second off, <laughs> go download them. There's a lot of Miles Comp- uh, Camp Lassen interviews going on there. Uh, any updates before we head out the door? Yeah, it's about this Scooby-Doo thing. Oh, no. I know. <laughs> did, they, did the city council issue a proclamation uh, denigrating me for not knowing who scooby-doo was well there's that and no they didn't they don't yeah, no, the resolution <laughs> raylo i can't believe it no uh okay so the following comes from the chicago sun times france Spielman and nadir isa uh it says here in the latest back and forth between two fierce political rivals mayor Lori lightfoot uh expressed outrage Thursday over a tweet by the Chicago Teachers Union uh, she called quote clearly racist and an example of a quote right wing tactic there's no love lost between the mayor and the ultra progressive CTU which gave Lightfoot her first major political test with an 11 day teacher strike last fall just months after her election Uh, let's see here they go on to talk about the tweet which we talked about Uh, you know hit rewind uh, listen to that if you're listening live Uh, yeah so Lightfoot is weighed in yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not surprised she waited and makes uh, the teachers union look bad uh, retweeting that tweet. And Lightfoot said Thursday she hadn't actually seen the tweet, uh, but, quote, it has been described to me. She branded it as clearly racist, deeply offensive and borrowing a playbook from the right wing. Yeah, it's a stupid. Uh, it was a stupid tweet. Whoever sent it out in the first place it was dumb to retweet it. And, you know, my advice to absolutely everyone out there, you know, just hold back in the retweeting. Yeah. Like, hold back. You don't have to retweet everything. You don't have to be all Twitter. Like, like social media turned into like a strip club or something. Like nothing good is going to come out of this uh, once you get done here. I have to retweet. I'm obsessed <laughs> like, with my Twitter account. <laughs> Twitter is, this, guys, I know you love it. Lefties and righties love your Twitter account. Just, I don't just come out. Think about it. Take a walk in the park. Walking in the park. Watching lovers do their thing. Come on, everybody. But you better be walking in the park. Oh, no, yeah. no stopping. No, <laughs> no congregating. <laughs> no, yeah, those lovers doing their thing. Get up or we'll arrest you. Anyway. <laughs> but that's our show today, everybody. Uh, like we said, check out our uh, bonus interviews. We're going to be recording one uh, after this show. Sergio Mims and uh, what's the lady's Danielle name? Danielle Scruggs. Danielle Scruggs. They're going to be talking about uh, the Spike, Spike, Lee. Spike Lee's latest the on Netflix. Bloods. The Five Bloods. And uh, that's going to be a bonus. We're going to record that. And tomorrow on the program, who's on the show tomorrow? Tomorrow, Ramana Hussein. And then our bonus, uh, SDG, the aforementioned Stacey Davis-Gates. And then... Uh, 
Alderwoman Rosanna Rodriguez and Alderman uh, Daniel Espada will be talking about the de- defund police movement. So that those be bonus drops, D. They'll f- drop over the weekend. Where, where can they hear those? You can hear it right. Just Ben Jarofsky's show. You can hear it at Scooby-Dooby-Doo. Job security, guys. You can hear it at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. That guarantees you job security because... After all these years, I still can't do it. <laughs> anyway, I want to thank the great Miles Conflassen for joining our show. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. And as Stacey Davis Gates, Lori Lightfoot, Miles Conflassen, Shia Kapos, Scooby-Doo, Fran Spielman, and Scooby-Doo will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dennis. <laughs> Give yourself a raise. Get out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everyone.